Many of us, most of us, love books, movies, and even social media posts depicting someone or a group of people building something big when they start with something small or with modest beginnings. These are stories that we will watch over and over again when they are on TV. We will click on those links multiple times, knowing exactly what the story begins with and how it ends. We love these stories. The Pursuit of Happiness, a movie released in 2006 featuring the Fresh Prince, Will Smith, depicting a single father, Chris Gardner, who moves from eviction and homelessness all the way up to the boardroom. Gardner landed a prestigious internship in a San Francisco-based brokerage firm, which would eventually lead him to a full-time job in the very same firm, elevating him and his son off the streets. We love these stories. Just last month, USA Today featured a story of a family, the Abdulli family, with Jamal being the family patriarch. See, you see, Jamal came to the United States in 1983 as a refugee from Ethiopia. He worked as a high school janitor while in the evenings finishing his high school equivalency exams. Next, earning an associate's degree, and then eventually earning a bachelor's degree in psychology. That's a great story in itself. Though when he realized that he would be better equipped to care for his family as a high school janitor, he stayed a high school janitor. Again, at that point, many of us would be moved to tears. We would share this story with our friends and family. We would definitely click like or retweet it. But there's more to the story. You see, in his modest beginnings, Jamal's daughters rose. Both of his daughters graduated at the top of their class. Both valedictorians from modest refugee beginnings all the way to the top of the class. Stories like the Abdullahi family are ones that move, compel, and change the way that we see the world. We'll share these stories over coffee with friends. You'll never believe what I just read about. Stories with modest beginnings inspire us to believe convincing us that we can go and do anything. We believe that we can be anything in this world, and we tell our kids that from a very, very young age. Stories and experiences from modest beginnings move us. They move us more than stories built upon success and wealth. We know that success and wealth can create more success and wealth. But modest beginnings make us believe that our modest lives are capable, at the very least, of changing our world and, at the best, changing the world. With the outlook that anything is possible, we believe that everything we seek to build will be built 
The parables of the mustard seed and the yeast show us just how this works. Creating, building great things with a very, very modest or small beginning. These parables challenge us to see the significance of the insignificant. Jesus clearly points out that not only is the kingdom of God a reality in him, but that it is coming in a modest way from the very beginning. There will not be a large army. There will be no grand military victories. There will not be a new royal family. Jesus' ministry was not a big endeavor in the way we think of ministry today. He had 12 interns that he was teaching along the way, and then there was him. Jesus operated outside the grandeur of the temple. They were a low-budget operation. The ministry Jesus was doing wasn't even seen as a threat to the Roman Empire. He was crucified because he posed a greater threat to the grandeur of the temple than he did to the empire. In other words, Jesus did not have a large staff. They did not put on over-the-top outreach events, and he did not work within the hollowed walls of an institutional structure. And yet, big things happened. The kingdom of God began to take shape here on earth. Jesus' modest beginning led to huge things happening. And just as a mustard seed, the smallest of all the seeds grows into a large bush. And when you take a handful of yeast and add it to three measures of flour, and three measures of flour is roughly 50 pounds, you will get 100 loaves of bread. That is how the kingdom of God works. There was no big event that caused Zacchaeus to fall out of his tree. When a few friends were compelled to lower their friend through a roof, it was not because of an over-the-top outreach event. Their over-the-top actions were possible because they had seen a glimpse of how Jesus' ministry was changing the world to those he ministered to. Once we realize this, both in the the professional world and in ministry, we begin to move with a sense of urgency. The difference, though, between building a professional success and building the kingdom of God is that when we discover the possibilities of the kingdom and then we begin to move, God in Christ is moving along beside us. Our lectionary text a few weeks ago reminded us of that. Yoked with Jesus, the burdens of life are less of a burden and more of an opportunity to serve in the kingdom-building work Jesus is doing. Our discovery and urgency then leads us to move joyfully. In a world where power is everything and it is just as important to gain more power as it is to keep the power you already have, Joyfully building the kingdom of God is counterintuitive to the ways that Rome has taught us. This is why when we create ministries within the church that don't model Jesus' beginnings, sometimes we can get off track. We live in a go big or go home culture, and because we see big results in God's work, we believe that our events need to be big 
to match these big ministries that Jesus did. Looking at the kingdom building work that we do on trips like the Jeremiah Project, or going to Haiti, or community assistance, or even the Garrett County team that's leaving today. Planning goes into every single part of these activities, from logistics like food and chaperones to building supplies and transportation. All of these things are critical to pulling off a successful mission event. And yet, often, the kingdom building on these trips happens outside our detailed plans that we worked so hard on. We forget that the kingdom building happens during these events when we put down the hammer or the paintbrush and we talk for an hour or two to Mrs. Smith, the homeowner we're serving that day. And while that might drive an adult site leader nuts, these are the modest acts where we are able to joyfully encounter the living Christ in a stranger. And better yet, this is when the kingdom of God gets a little bigger. In these moments, though, we have to be uncompromisingly patient as we are partnered with Christ in this kingdom-building work. What seems like laziness, lack of work ethic, or a waste of time is God using us as branches of the kingdom to further God's reach into this world. In the parable of the hidden treasure and pearl of great value, it would seem counterintuitive for anyone, let alone a farmer and a merchant, to sell off everything just to purchase one item. But in these stories, the emphasis is less on the selling and more on the willingness and the joy with which these transactions are carried out. God's kingdom is counterintuitive. It is a counter-cultural kingdom. After urgently searching for it and then beginning to build it, the response is not one of dread or burden. Our response is one of joy. Joy is the engine of change. Neither the farmer nor the merchant sees themselves as losing anything. Instead, they see themselves as gaining everything. Selling all of our possessions is a condition of the kingdom of God because our possessions and the values that we place on them is an idol to the, that distracts us and prevents us from being fully engaged in the ministry of Jesus. It is the cost of discipleship But yet, from this parable this morning, we see that selling all our possessions, liquidating our idols, does not have to be a heavy burden. Selling is not a requirement in searching for the kingdom of God. It is instead a joyful and joy-filled response. Our natural reaction when we realize the shelter that we can find in the branches grown from modest beginnings. Selling all we have when we realize the sustenance available to us in Christ is the beginning of the new life we have when we urgently join Jesus' kingdom-building enterprise. The selling 
of all our possessions as a result of the joy we find in the kingdom of God is how we abandon our former lives. And it's how we follow Christ. Once all of our possessions are sold, we begin to live disciplined lives as we grow in Christ, just as the, the disciples did. Jesus tells them point blank that evil will be separated from the righteous at the end of the present age. Jesus is speaking in terms of life and death, yes, but he is also speaking in terms of new life. The new life that we find in Christ when we die to ourselves through the waters of baptism. Stanley Hauerwas, a professor at Duke Divinity, put it this way. Our response is constitutive of the kingdom that Jesus brought. There is a joy that the kingdom produces. It is a quite different joy than those who live on rocky ground and as a result, too quickly receive the seed of the kingdom. There is a seriousness with which Jesus speaks about discipleship, allegiance to the kingdom of God, a kingdom, remember, that is being ushered in by a poor first century Jew and a few of his friends. The seriousness with which Jesus speaks is an offer of protection to us from the self-righteous posturing that we do when we try to convince ourselves that Jesus really didn't mean for me to sell everything. We justify to ourselves that Jesus is talking more about those people and less about us here this morning. The joy-filled, faithful, and disciplined lives we live are a response to the modest yet powerful ministry of Jesus. We are invited to participate in this kingdom building that's been going on for 2,000 years. We all love a success story, especially a success story that begins from modest means. In the modesty of Jesus' power and his ministry, we discover that the gospel is a reality. And then we also discover who Jesus really is. Our natural reaction to this discovery is to go out joyfully, being faithful disciples, selling all that we have, not out of a nagging obligation, but instead we are compelled to do so because we have experienced the grace that is only available, only available to us in the same kingdom that we joyfully participate in. Amen.